and welcome to Library Lab Notes, the show that provides insights into all things information literacy in the sciences. I'm your host, Virginia. And I'm your host, Eric. And today we're going to talk about textbooks, where to find them in the library, and how you can access them. We'll also talk about open educational resources. And can I just say, I am so glad to be back and doing this. Yay! Well, it's getting late in the fall semester. Let's be honest, it's basically the winter semester now. And you've likely already picked up all the required textbooks for your courses. We thought it might still be helpful to talk about textbooks in the context of the library. Absolutely. Winter semester is, well, we could say just around the corner, but I want to say like two or three weeks away. So it may be useful to know about it before you prep for your next courses. Totally. It's important to talk about textbooks because it's an often unexpected additional cost to attending university. In an article we'll link in the show notes, you can find that the average textbook for the University of Alberta is $875.44, which is not only on the higher side for Canada, but is a number I hadn't read prior to reading this script and ended up having to do three takes because I kept stumbling over it. It's pretty horrific when you add it up because when you add all your textbooks per semester, it really, really does add up. Based on the Education Data Initiative, the average full-time student spends over $1,000 on textbooks in an academic year. And that number was startling to me, but one study found that 25% of students reported that they worked extra hours to pay for their books and materials, and 11% skipped meals in order to afford books and course materials, which... (sighs) hearing as an academic and someone working in the library is very upsetting. Big time. In 2020, the textbook publishing industry was valued at $4.10 billion. This is a big money-making machine. It really is. But this is where libraries can come in. The library likely has a copy of your textbook, which means you might not need to buy it after all. Yes. A while ago, the library started an initiative called, well, yes, creatively, the Textbook Initiative. If you can believe it, come ask at the desk if you are hunting for a paper copy. The other option, too, if you're lucky, is that we might have an online version of the textbook, in which case that means that the library has it virtually accessible anywhere. Meaning everyone has access all the time, right? wrong. Okay, in our dreams, to be honest. Publishing companies are cackling at us somewhere for even daring to dream about it. It kind of makes you want to cry. Unfortunately, ebook publishers and the platforms vary a lot. So sometimes ebooks in our catalog can be accessed by an unlimited amount of people. Yay. Sometimes only by a few people at once, which is awful. And sometimes even just one person at a time. The most painful of options, clearly meant to torture us. And there's not too much we can do about it. We will get as much access as we can, but it is down to licenses. And let's not even get into the details around how to use each of the different platforms for ebooks, how much you can download, from which chapters or page ranges. It's all going to vary. Yeah, that's right. If you're confused, you can always ask the library for help. 
otherwise to find course readings, you can use a tool called Talus Aspire that's linked from the library's homepage. You can also look up any ebook or print book in our library catalog. That's the search box on the library webpage. There are a lot of options, but my favorite is always talking to the people either in chat or at the desk at the library. On the topic of making knowledge in books more accessible, have you heard of Bob Brown, the godfather of the ebook? In 1930, he developed a machine that would take books transcribed on tiny ribbons and run those ribbons behind a magnifying glass where the words would become visible, much like a microfilm reader. In a manifesto, Brown dubbed this technology the Reedies and claimed it would enable him to read 100,000 word novels in 10 minutes and allow readers to change the size of a book's typeface, save trees from being cut down, and make paper cuts a thing of the past. Though he and a friend were able to build a prototype of the machine, it is now lost to the history books. If only Brown could have seen what the future would bring. As we've already discussed, textbooks are expensive. And sadly, they don't always fit into the needs of a class or a topic, making it even worse. However, the solution here is something called OER, or Open Educational Resource. From our own website, OERs are teaching and learning materials that are freely and openly available. They can be text documents, audio, video, multimedia tests, software, learning objects, or any other tool used for learning and teaching. The key is that they can be widely distributed and adapted with clear reuse terms. So there are all different types of OERs out there, but some of them are textbooks free textbooks, which is super exciting. Can you oh, tell? Oh, yes, right. And there are a bunch of places where you can search for them, such as Open Education Alberta, Milne Open Textbooks, and Wikibooks, just to name a few. Lots of options. The obvious problem here, though, is that the class instructor or prof has to be one of the ones that knows about these. Find the one that works for their class, or adapt an existing one because yes, you can edit these textbooks to suit your needs or even make your own OER textbook. So in other words, if you're a student, you have predictably little to no control. And if you're teaching a class, you have perhaps too much control as it's potentially a lot of work to add on top of what is already typically a heavy workload. Yeah, there are some serious pros and cons here. Our own student union has advocated for more affordable textbook options, including open educational resources. They actually have a really useful web page called Be Book Smart for instructors and students. Oh, yeah. And they encourage students to talk to their professors about OERs. You can let your instructors know about options you've seen online or ask, quite simply, if they've ever looked into OERs. But I know this takes some bravery, for sure, but most professors would be open to chatting about this and tell you what they're thinking about. You can keep it casual, a quick question or comment here or there, so it doesn't have to feel like a big, huge thing. Absolutely, although it does suck for students to have to be in that position. Agreed, and let's be honest, it isn't great for professors or instructors as well, who have to be open to this, and they have to know a little bit more about it. But you have to remember, they're often juggling a lot of different things. Absolutely a good point. 
The library has done a lot of work to support professors in the creation of OERs. So you can always reach out to our publishing team to either get help finding out about OERs or even how to create one. We license Pressbooks, which is a platform for creating OER textbooks. And speaking as one of the people who often ends up helping with the creation of new OER textbooks as one of my roles here at the library, it's honestly really great. Ooh, we would also be remiss if we didn't mention the zero textbook cost. ZTC program. It encourages instructors to register their ZTC course with the student's union so they can be flagged in bear tracks. That way, students can then use ZTC as a search parameter when they are making decisions about their classes. Which is honestly super brilliant. We definitely want students to have more control over what will work for them, and that initiative really helps. Well, I have to say, Thanks for coming with Eric and I and talking about this amazing OER journey. Now we're going to be talking to some people who can also speak about OERs from both sides of the equation. Our guest today is Gerline Quar, Vice President Academic of the University of Alberta Students' Union. She's here today to speak with us as a student with experience in OER and OJS. Hello, Gerline. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Eric. Thanks a lot for having me today. Awesome. Did you want to give us a little bit of an introduction into yourself? Yes. Um, so my name is Gerline Carr, and my pronouns are she and her. And I'm the current vice president academic with the Students' Union. And I'm a third year student at the University of Alberta. Did you start during the pandemic then? I did in 2020, right in the middle of pandemic. And I'm an international student. So my first semester was all online from back home, staying up all night, attending classes and sleeping during the day because of the time zone differences. Yeah. Good on you for being able to pull that off. And I'm so sorry that it happened at all. What has been your experience with buying textbooks, both um, remote, obviously, since you do have experience with that, but also here at the U of A as a student attending in person? Um, I am in an arts program. So luckily, uh, many of like majority of my courses that I took, uh, the professors used open education materials or some other materials, but I have like heard so many student experiences from my friends that sometimes they just drop the courses just because of the textbook cost associated um, to those courses. Luckily, somehow I was saved from it, but yes. <laughs> that's, that's honestly, I'm, I'm really glad to hear, uh, in, in, a, in a sort of a sad way, I'm really glad to hear that you were able to avoid those expenses and costs, but I do appreciate the honesty of just some people not even taking a course because of the additional costs that fall outside of, you know, what uh, they might be just getting charged just to be in the class. So what is your experience then um, with OER textbooks specifically? So I would say OERs are great since they help students save a lot of money. There's no extra cost um, associated to them. So and it helps students to manage their expenses and also they're very accessible. 
so I would say they're really helpful. And the reason why I didn't have bad experience with the uh, textbooks is just because of OERs, because my professors were using them. So I would say like more and more professors are um, switching to OERs and there's a lot of conversation going across campus and on, on other campuses across Canada, which is really great to know. That is excellent. In terms of OERs, did you ever have any challenges with them because of the nature of the material in them or find that they were outdated or that they needed to be adapted by your professor in the classroom at all? Like, were there any issues with using OERs? I would say no. Um, since there's a lot of support that is provi uh, provided by the libraries to professors, so the professors can actually go to the library to take help in, in terms of identifying and building suitable materials that they can use for their course. There's a wide range available for them, which they can use to design their courses accordingly. So whenever I have studied from them, they, are, they have so much information and always up to date. That's, I am so blown away by your response to this, and it makes me so happy to hear that it's actually going that well. Um, can you give us some background on the zero cost textbook initiative from what you know of it as a student? Yes, for sure. Um, so this, uh, the conversation occurred uh, around um, ZTC actually started in 2018 from my predecessors uh, at the Students Union. So they made a report of how OERs are helping students uh, in other universities and how they can help students save money and everything. And from that time, that conversation continued on. And in 2021, we were actually able to um, start the zero textbook cost pilot uh, program in collaboration with the registrar's office. And now there is an indicator on bear tracks that people can enable and then it lists out only those courses for them which has zero textbook cost associated to them. So either the professors use some open education materials or some other properly licensed or adopted materials that the students don't have to pay for them. Now it's going really well. And uh, in 2021, uh, last year, um, we saw a very large number of professors signing up for this. There, there were more than 700, which was quite impressive. And it helped students save around $9 million, which is like huge. $9 million. That is huge. Wow. Um, I had no idea that it was being picked up and taken this successfully. So it sounds like then you've had some, you've, you've had some experience then being part of the the ZCT actually like taking off? Yes, so currently I am the vice president academic. So I am trying to work really hard to continue that legacy on and expand the conversation around ZTC. So it's adopted more and more across our campus. Um, we recently created a data that tells us which faculties are using how much OERs. So now we're trying to target the faculties which are not using that much. We are working with the libraries, with the subject librarians to take that word forward and have a conversation in their faculties so we can have more and more engagement and which would definitely help students a lot in the end. If we do end up with any instructors listening, what are some of the benefits you think that they might find of choosing materials that their students aren't required to buy? First and foremost is students just love the courses, which doesn't 
tell them to pay extra for anything. And as I mentioned um, earlier, there I have heard stories from students who drop courses. Sometimes they just love the course, but they have to drop just because of the textbook cost, which is very, uh, very much for them. And also I have heard students going on some other illegal websites. They don't want to do it and it's not safe, but sometimes they're just pushed into it because they just don't have the money to buy the textbooks. So it helps students um, and also professors uh, to work collectively and create some materials which are accessible for everyone. And it's also very easy for professors to do it. Definitely libraries are always there to help professors to play with all the OERs. So it definitely helps everyone. <laughs> wow, thank you, thank you. Um, it sounds like you honestly have been doing, an uh, uh, you and the student union have been doing an incredible amount as well. So honestly, I really appreciate that. And I feel like I've actually learned a lot on this. Uh, before we finish the interview, is there anything uh, else you wanted to say about OER? Is there any last comments that you wanted to uh, uh, share? I would just say that this is a great initiative that started and now it's growing and growing with hundreds of professors signing up each term. And it's it's the collective effort from everywhere, from the registrar's office, from the libraries, from the faculties and the students union. So together we are doing a great job. And I think maybe sometime there will be a day that people will not have to buy the textbooks at all and they will have all the OERs available for each and every course. Honestly, fingers crossed on that. Thank you so much for coming and speaking with us, Gerleen. Thanks a lot, Eric. Hello, we have two fantastic University of Alberta librarians with us today. We have Sarah Shaughnessy and Patty Sherbaniak going to talk to us about OERs and all these amazing things happening at the library. So just to kick it off, Sarah, can you just let me know um, what your pronouns are and your top job title? Yeah, um, so my pronouns are she and her. Um, and I am the science librarian this year, and I'm also the arts and sciences librarian at the campus Saint Jean, and I'm the co-chair of the library's open education team. And Patty, how about yourself? Uh, my name, well, obviously my name is Patty. My pronouns are she, her, and uh, I am a science librarian. I was formerly in business. Uh, now I'm a science librarian in Ailes. So, um, and I am also on the OER uh, team here at the U of A. Fantastic. Well, that's gonna help right away with our first question is what is the library's role with OERs? So the library is involved in three ways. We have a Pressbooks publishing platform through Open Education Alberta. Um, so that's um, a platform that people can use to create and adapt open educational resources. It's a textbook publishing uh, program. So just one of the ways that you can you can create uh, open educational resources. Um, we also have a search team. So if instructors are looking for um, OER and it's not as easy as it seems, it's not as intuitive as it seems, although we have a pretty good finding guide, um, we, we can provide support because we have a team of people who are trained to find those resources. Um, and then finally, we're the service lead for the ZTC program. Do you know how many science classes are using OERs? 
there are statistics from the ZTC program, and we know that 35% of science classes are using zero textbook cost courses, which is great. However, that doesn't mean they're all using OER. They could be using openly licensed, uh, like open access resources or even library licensed resources. If it makes the course zero textbook cost for the student, then that's kind of, so that's the statistic we have is like that those people are using zero textbook cost courses, but out of those, we don't know exactly what the course materials are, so. No, that makes sense. And this is a question that often comes up as well is, how reliable are OERs for research? Who's hmm. creating them? Yeah, I mean, that's a really, that is a very common concern, I would say, but um, I think like typically I just kind of turn that thought on its head by saying like that quality isn't a function of copyright status. So I think we know that there's, we've all had terrible commercially produced textbooks and wonderful ones. and. and and in the same vein, I'd say there's there's excellent high quality open educational resources and some that are less um, less search. I think I think we need to be open to alternative authoring and review processes. And the beautiful thing about OER is that you can, if you find an error in your textbook, you can actually edit it. Like you can you can adapt it, you can change it. So like when you get stuck with a produced textbook that has an error, you can't do anything about it. But that's uh, kind of one of the neat things about the way you can reuse and remix these resources. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Patty, do you have anything to add in? I was just going to add that um, a role the library can play in all this is teaching the students, you know, some critical information literacy so they can, you know, evaluate the resources they're evaluating the textbooks anyway they can do the same with the open access resources just you know check something else to make sure that you know the information is correct all that kind of stuff like that's part of what what we're trying to teach them um as they're doing research right so which is so true okay so i have to ask both of you what is your favorite part about oers i i love the I think that often what gets overlooked is the the remix and reuse. I think people often think they have to start from scratch and create a new textbook or a new work. Um, there's a lot of wonderfully existing stuff that we can add and adapt. And I think what it does is it it opens up a whole new field of educational practices that we can engage with. Um, students can help co-create the work that we're doing we can annotate it um and so for me this is the exciting thing that is amazing patty what's your favorite part um i'm kind of along the same lines of uh as sarah that you know co-creating and all that kind of um all that kind of thing and maybe instructors too maybe don't know that they can you know they can add and strengthen those resources um also that you know they're free of charge that's always a big draw and you don't you know you don't really have to worry about <clears throat> infringing on copyright or uh, things like that like it's just kind of one less thing to worry about no that makes sense and i mean along the same vein what do you find are some of the misconceptions about oers i think uh from an instructor like from instructors point of views or possibly from students as well is that if it's open access and free then the, the quality is not as good and i think that is a 
misconception um, that only, you know, paid for published materials um, are are worthy. And I, I, I'd like that perception to change. I think it is slowly, but I think that is very common misconception with OER stuff. And I have to ask, because we're a science podcast, do you have a favorite science OER, either one of you, that you have checked out in the last little bit? Yes, blood slides from a lab that um, that students used to have to physically access, but the, they got digitized. It, it turned into a, um, a collection of the images that was stored in our institutional repository era, and then it became a book. So this is a very cool um, example of kind of different instances of, of how this um, how these resources kind of became more and more accessible, right? So it's called a laboratory guide to clinical hematology. We can definitely add it to the links in our okay. show notes. I have to say this has been really informative, informative, and it's been absolutely lovely to talk with both Sarah and Patty today. And I want to say thank you so much for coming on our podcast today and just chatting with us about OERs. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. And uh, just, you know, whoever's listening out there, support OERs. <laughs> I love the plug. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to our guests, Gerline, Patty, and Sarah, and our production team, Erin and Jessica. We hope you enjoyed the insights into textbooks and open educational resources. As always, you can head over to our webpage or check out all the links and resources in the show notes. Well, that's all for this episode, folks. See you next time. Okay, wrong. In our dreams, publishing company, blah, 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 blah. publishing companies are cackling at us. Someone for you, someone. Oh my god, this line. You can say laughing and say cackling if you want. No, I gotta say cackling for Jessica. <laughs> <laughs>